Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us to talk about all things green, all things growing, getting some inspiration, some ideas, and some jobs to do in your landscape and in your gardens. Of course, last week was our Q&A week, which is an important week because that's when we go to the mailbox and the mailbag and the inbox, all these places you send us your questions. And we give them a go. We give you an answer for those questions, and we hope that we've been helpful to you. So thank you for all who have sent questions in the past and, you know, for future purposes, all those who will send questions in the future. Today is sort of a tag along to last week. We will be answering some questions kind of uh, maybe not necessarily rapid fire. I do like to talk about these things, so it may take a while to get through some more questions, but just some things that we haven't been able to get to, but uh, that are quite timely right now, and some things to consider. As a matter of fact, let's see, on the docket today, we'll talk a bit about peonies, uh, transplanting them, dividing them, moving them in the landscape. We'll talk about staking new trees. Should we be staking new trees uh, and how long? And if so, what should we do to properly support them while they are uh, getting their roots established in the soil? Evergreen trees for the landscape. Everybody needs evergreen trees. And because this is the 21st century, we have so many evergreen trees to choose from. Uh, Of course, there are large evergreen trees and smaller evergreen trees. And to some degree, it uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a tree. We'll talk about some small versions of some of these uh, uh, large evergreen trees as well. And I just hope I can get to this. This is great. We've never had this concern before. But what about curing and storing gourds? I don't think I've ever said the word gourd Maybe once. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever said the word gourd on this program in uh, the several years we've been doing it. But gourds are historically a uh, useful plant. Back in the day, they were used as utensils, you know, little pots or little scoops. Uh, and still a fun plant to grow. It may be tempting to go get a scoop uh, that's made of plastic. Uh, but you surely could grow a gourd and use it uh, functionally. Uh, to scoop things like fertilizer, or if you have chickens, scoop chicken feed. (laughs) I know it's a strange topic, but I'm glad that someone has an interest in gourds. We'll talk more about that later today. Uh, But if you have a question for us here at New Southern Garden, just visit us online at newsoutherngarden.com. And of course, you can find us on the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, 
And if you've missed any part or any show that we've had here at New Southern Garden, you can find that on the website, NewSouthernGarden.com, and you can find it on your podcasting apps on your smart devices. So uh, give us a listen. And of course, if you're listening online, you can listen on demand whenever you'd like to. Uh, but we do like to share this time with you here uh, in the Northeast Georgia Mountains on 93.9 FM. This is WRWH, and we're glad that you are here. So let's Let's go right in into some of these things. Today we have a comment about how do we transplant and how do we divide our peonies if we need to. Uh, in the message, someone mentions that, uh, you know, some people say if you move them, if you divide them, they won't bloom. And that's just not true unless you don't do one critical thing, which is uh, uh, part of the resetting and the transplanting process. But the thing about peonies is you can buy them now as a bare root. You will probably find them in box stores and garden centers in little packages that, uh, of course, have no soil in them. You'll be looking at the crown or the rhizomes is more of a botanical term. The rhizomes, the, the main root system of the plant. Peonies are very much an underground plant, meaning that they do a lot of storage in these thick, fleshy roots that we call rhizomes. And that keeps them going year after year. And so we've talked about the, uh, the way that peonies react in the south. The first thing, of course, is in the spring, they send up their, uh, their leaves and stems. Uh, the herbaceous peonies, they don't get woody. Uh, all of that stuff dies down as we go into summer and definitely into fall. But uh, right at the tip of those young stems is, is a bud that will bloom. So the more um, the more. Uh, stems you have, uh, the more risers that you can produce, and the more blossoms you will have. And that's the key with trying to produce a healthy uh, peony plant. Now, if you're buying these bare root plants, uh, particularly from the box stores, they usually have very small rhizomes, very small roots. And you probably won't get, you probably won't get uh, a, a, a blooming plant that first year. So if you plant it now, you probably won't see blooms in the spring. However, if after that spring you feed it well through the first year and maybe into the second year, in a few short years, you should start having more blooms. Now, you can purchase peony roots online from many suppliers, bulb companies and um, uh, online retailers, uh, maybe mail order catalogs that maybe are a bit more developed and aged. Ideally, if you have three to five eyes on your peony, now let's stop there. What is a peony eye? Well, just like potatoes have those little eyes, that's what grandma called them at least, those are where the stem will come out. And it's the same with a peony root, right at the top where all of these uh, roots, these rhizomes are um, bunched together. That's the crown of the plant where most of the activity for leaves is going to happen. And so when you're looking at these roots, you will should be able to see these little red buds. They look sort of a, a pointy oval. They look like a pointy oval, uh, if, if you will. And that is going to be a stem come springtime. If you only have one eye on that young plant, you'll only have one stem and most likely that peony is not old enough, not mature enough to really produce blossoms. And so the, I guess in summary here, when you're buying bare root peonies, be sure 
to buy them with as many eyes and as large of a root system as possible. I have bought from box stores little tiny peony roots and that's several years ago, and they've yet to bloom. Now, maybe I haven't treated them all that well. They probably should be a little happier than they are, but it does take some time for young peony roots to store enough energy to really do all of that blooming. So the idea is the bigger the root, the bigger the flower show you'll have in the spring. Now, the idea, though, with peonies is whether you're planting them from uh, bare roots or maybe you go to a plant nursery that sells them in containers like we do, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. Now, the, the peonies we have in pots, they're very aged. They're very old. They have plenty of eyes, usually five or more eyes, which means that we get at least uh, three to maybe eight blooms on a plant. Uh, but they are, you know, maybe at a a higher uh, dollar mark because they're older. So you've got to think, do you want something that's blooming this next year or are you going to maybe sacrifice on the budget a bit, go with a cheaper plant that, that may take a little longer to bloom? That's up to you. But no matter how you're purchasing them, whether they are bare root or whether they are in a pot already, uh, you do want to prepare a nice planting space for your peonies. You see, peonies do not like wet roots. And unfortunately, in the South, our clay-based soils can be very heavy and quite wet. So amending that soil with organic organic matter, uh, rotted leaves, uh, compost, whatever you've got, soil conditioner if you have to procure it uh, from a nursery or garden center, be sure that you are mixing that into your planting space as much as possible. And you don't necessarily have to dig a very deep hole. Uh, maybe just the, uh, the depth of a shovel would be sufficient. But you do need to dig a wide hole, at least maybe 36 inches wide if you can. Uh, it's hard to judge. You know, usually we say to dig a hole that's two to three times the width of a root ball. But if you're getting your, bare, your peonies as bare roots, it's not going to have a root ball. It's just going to be a little tiny uh, clump of roots. So making sure your two feet to three feet width is, is there is going to be critical. And then amend that. Lighten the soil up as much as possible so that your peony can stay in that hole for many years without getting too wet. So you're digging that. You're letting that soil uh, settle and, and, and fluffing it up and, and, and all of those things. And then when you are planting your peony in that beautiful soil that you've now enriched, uh, you want to make sure not to plant them too deep. Don't plant your peonies too deep. As a matter of fact, the little eyes that you see on the tips of the peony root, those need to be below the ground just about one inch, maybe one and a half inches deep, no deeper than one and a half inches. When I set a peony in the ground, I usually let those eyes sit right on top of the soil because remember, those eyes are going to be stem material. They're going to carry the stem and the leaves and eventually the flowers. And so stems don't necessarily need to be under the ground. They need to be right at the top of the soil level, uh, maybe just shallowly covered, and they will be healthy and happy. When people are moving peonies around, dividing peonies, and they claim that uh, peonies don't bloom once you divide them or move them, most likely what's happening is once that plant has been dug up, divided, and reset, well, you guessed it, they were planted too deep. Whenever uh, 
Peonies, those eyes are planted too deep under the soil that usually prevents them from flowering. So that will give you the best shot of a new peony planted in the ground. Give it a nice fluffy, fluff, fluffy, nice fluffy, well-drained soil using organic matter to amend it in. A very wide bed would be wonderful. And of course, just let those eyes on top of your peonies sit right on top of the soil or just slightly below. But what about those situations where you've already got peonies and you know that they could get two to 36 inches in diameter when they're in full leaf and full flower. And can we divide those? Can we move those? Yes, we can. If you have established clumps of peonies, maybe they've stopped blooming because they do get to a sort of this, uh, I don't want to say geriatric stage, but the mature stage where they're just growing and maybe not really enticed to bloom again. Most perennial plants, herbaceous perennials, do this. And we've talked about this in the past, and peonies follow suit. So if you need to uh, divide a large healthy clump of peony that maybe doesn't seem to be blooming dividing it might actually help to encourage it to bloom so these clumps are going to be large they've got lots of foliage make sure that they had been fertilized regularly and are growing in a spot uh, where they get at least six hours of sun per day peonies do like sun and making sure that we um have them in sun is going to increase the blooming. But if they've had fertilizer, if they've had sun, they're in nice soil. Why are they not blooming? They're super large. Well, let's talk about dividing them. So the idea with a peony is to lift the root. Remember, that clump of roots, the rhizomes, that is the majority of the plant when it comes to peonies. Lift those up. I would recommend to use a digging fork. If you use a shovel or a spade, uh, that may actually cut into your peony roots and start damaging the root. If you use a fork, a digging fork, well, it sort of pierces through the soil and has a less likely chance of just severing those rhizomes into some pieces. Once you've lifted this root system from the ground, go ahead and wash off the roots, maybe knock off some of the soil, being very careful not to damage any of those uh, roots or the connection points where they're connected together. And then you can divide those rhizomes into sections. Now, while you're dividing and using a knife, uh, probably not a pair of scissors, something sharp though, while you're doing that, be sure to look for those little buds, those eyes, because every division, I would make sure every division that you, you separate has at least three buds. If you have a huge clump of peonies and you've, you can do five buds per division, that's wonderful. But make sure that you have at least th three buds per division and a nice, strong, healthy rhizome attached to that. And you will have a good peony to then set in the ground and just follow that same planting method. Wide hole, fluffy soil, and don't plant those eyes too deep. Well, gang, when we get back from this break, more of your questions and concerns, and we're going to give you an answer to them. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Alright gang, so here today on New Southern Garden we are talking about some of your concerns and questions you have in the landscape. Usually our Q&A week is the last weekend of the month and we did that last week but now that we have a sort of an overflow little bank of questions because you know I get long-winded I can't get to them all in one day so I thought we'd pull out a few that are quite timely and of course uh, some that well, there's one about gourds that I'm really excited about, so I hope I don't talk long enough that I can get to it. Uh, but before the break, we were talking about peonies. Uh, we love peonies at New Southern Garden. We love peonies in my garden. I hope you love peonies in your garden. Uh, we do have an episode on just peonies. Uh, I think I talk about them at least once a year in the spring because that's when people think of peonies. But now is a fine time to get them in the ground, get them growing, and uh, make something of them in your landscape. Uh, but of course, we were talking about dividing peonies, getting um, uh, a large established clump out of the ground. And as long as you are planting your peonies or your divided peonies very shallowly, just make sure that those eyes are right at the surface of the soil or maybe no deeper than one and a half inches lower. Setting a peony at the right depth is key to making sure that it's able to bloom. If they're planted too deep, they probably won't bloom. Doesn't mean they won't grow, but they may not bloom. Very strange. They're picky about that. Uh, but now we want to move into a concern about uh, staking new trees. I guess the question is, should we stake trees? Do we need to stake trees? And if we need to stake them, how do we do so? Well, staking trees is not a wonderful thing to do, but in some cases it may, may be necessary, particularly with very large trees that have uh, large trunks, a lot of branching, maybe a lot of foliage. If the stem and leaf of, the, of this new plant you're planting is heavier than the root ball, then it might be necessary to have to, uh, to stake them, or if uh, maybe where you're planting them is just brutal winds. And no matter what you plant gets knocked over by wind, then staking may be necessary. It is best to not stake your plants unless we have to. So when we have to stake them, what are some ways that we can do so? Well, for small trees, uh, one easy way is to place two stakes that are hammered into the ground uh, near the trunk. Two stakes off to the side of the tree is a good thing to do, and then using a rope, a soft rope, got to make sure everything we wrap around our stems uh, and plant trunks are soft. Either use a soft rope or cord and loop it into a figure eight around the trunk and then tie it to either stake. Tie each end to opposing stakes and using just those two stakes is enough usually for a small tree. But with a larger tree, you may need to use three stakes that are equally spaced around the perimeter of the tree and usually the uh, drip line of the tree is an appropriate place to place those stakes. The drip line, of course, is the edges of the, the tips, the, the tips of the branches, edges of the tree, if you will. And you can go right down the drip line and place three stakes. It's sort of going to create a triangle 
right? If you're spacing three stakes around a circle, uh, around the drip line of the tree, you're creating a, a triangle with these stakes. And then uh, you can use the soft cord or soft rope and tie them around the uh, trunk of the tree and pull them down to each one of those three stakes. Now, you may want to use um, a rubber hose, a piece of rubber, or something that can protect the trunk because we don't want any cord or rope to, to really be putting a lot of pressure on that. We need something soft in between the rope and the trunk of the tree. So keep that in mind. If you go to your feed and seed store or you go to a tractor store or something, a farm store, you may find some devices that are soft and, and might be able to uh, wrap around the trunk and then you can use that cord or rope to tie to the stake. The problem, of course, with tying too tightly around a trunk is that you might girdle the tree. You see, if something is very tightly wrapped around a trunk, as the trunk grows, it's going to start wrapping around that tight cord or tight cable, and that will cause girdling. Uh, essentially, that is where the life support from the root is cut off at that girdle, and everything above the girdle, where the rope is so tightly wrapped, everything above that may die back. Everything below that may stay very much alive, but then you've killed most of your tree. So this is one reason why we don't want to stake trees, but it might be necessary. So the next question really is, if you have to stake, and you stake it safely and appropriately, making sure things aren't too tight because you do want to have the plant move just a little bit in the wind, swaying just a little bit. That swaying action actually stimulates the tree to start growing very strong down at the base. If you are strapping and holding your plant in place so tightly that it can't move with the wind just a bit, then the bottom of the tree, the trunk, the base of the trunk may very well uh, be uh, very weak once the stakes are removed. And I have seen it in the landscape where stakes have been left on very tightly for years. And once those uh, stakes fail or are finally removed, you get a heavy wind, you get a heavy storm, and that tree is not strong enough at the base and they do topple over. So the idea is let nature do what nature does and let it strengthen your tree by getting that swaying action in the wind. Obviously, if the tree is so top-heavy that it can't stand on its own without staking, it needs a little bit of support to get its roots going. Uh, but once its roots are established, the stake can come off. Now, what does that time frame look like? Well, you may read online. Some people say, oh, some trees you can go with a stake for a year. Leave the staking system on for a couple of years and then remove it. Well, what the research shows in modern horticulture is that six months is all we should really leave our stakes up for. As a matter of fact, if you're planting trees this fall season, just know that now is a great time for roots to grow while uh, the rest of the plant is going to sleep. So for the next six months, you will actually have the plant establishing its root system over the cool fall and winter months. And that root system will help to anchor the plant in. So by the time we get to, we got three months out of this year, and then by the time we get to March, before the plant leaves out, it's probably just 
a right time to go ahead and remove those stakes. So don't always listen to the Google searches. <laughs> Look at what research and uh, experimentation with plants is showing us. And six months is what's proved to be true and accurate as far as what's most helpful to a plant. Like I said before, if that plant is allowed to have a stake for an extended period of time, one year, two years, whatever, uh, I've seen stakes uh, be on a plant for more than 12 years and the stake itself finally rots away and uh, or falls apart and those poor plants are underprivileged. Those uh, poor plants have not been able to sway in the wind, get that natural motion that the wind uh, produces to strengthen and signal the plant to beef up that support inside the plant down at the base of the trunk. So again, in summary with stakes, I know you'll probably be looking into planting some trees, uh, maybe some evergreens. We'll talk about that next. But you'll probably be looking to plant some trees this year and you're wondering, should I stake them? If they stand on their own, don't worry about staking. If they're in a very windy spot and you expect that they will probably topple over because those roots are not worked into the soil yet, then you may do this staking. But just keep it temporary and make sure whatever you strap them with is very soft, maybe using like a piece of rubber, like I mentioned, to protect that uh, tight rope from really pulling into the trunk and causing that girdle. And then, of course, after six months, time is over. It's time to let your baby tree into the wild. <laughs> let it deal with the wind. Let it deal with the natural elements because those things are very good. The wind is a wonderful help to plants. Plants need the wind. All plants, young seedlings need the wind. The concept is true there. Young seedlings get stronger if they get tossed in the wind just a bit, just a bit, just a, just a little breeze. So uh, I hope that helps with your staking problems. If you decide to plant some trees this year, remember, six months, and uh, don't keep it on for an extended time. Well, gang, when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about planting some trees, particularly evergreens, and they're so beautiful when we have nothing on our leaves, in, on our trees in the winter. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Right, gang, so today on New Southern Garden, we're getting to some more of your questions because we've, uh, I just talked too long and can't get to them all in one week. So I found some nice questions that, uh, well, they're all nice questions. They're all great questions. Already we've talked about peonies and what we can do for them now. Now's a good time to plant them if you're buying them bare root. Uh, really, you can continue to, to do that all winter long because they like cool weather. It's no problem for them. They don't love our heat, you know. They start looking bad in the summer. They start going underground. 
but now is a fine time to plant those. And we've talked about uh, staking trees. How long should we stake them if we have to stake them at all? And what are some proper methods to stake a tree? Because we want to give our trees the best start they can. And obviously, if a tree is getting beat by wind and you're planting it, it's probably going to fall over. Uh, but of course, if the plant is a very large tree, if it's a very large, tall and, and heavy above ground, then it might on its own topple over. And so staking for six months only is a good thing to think about. I promised you before the break, we'd talk about evergreen trees for the landscape, but I do want to get to our question on gourds. I think evergreens might take a while. So let's go ahead and talk about our gourd scenario here. So as far as growing gourds, it's a, it's a summer plant. Well, let's talk about what gourds are. Gourds are in that group of plants we call cucurbits. They're closely related to cucumbers and squashes. Um, let's see, winter squashes too, like butternut squash, acorn squash, well, zucchini is a uh, summer squash, of course, but all of these plants are in the same group of the cucurbit family. And so you can grow them just about as easily as you can cucumbers or squash. But of course, gourds have very long vines, so they need some kind of support. Now, you can grow them along the ground, uh, but usually they, they may be a little odd shaped. If you've ever had a cucumber growing along the ground, you, you may have noticed they, they get that yellow spot on the bottom. Uh, they may be sort of flattened. And of course, uh, being on the ground, those gourds and cucumbers alike are more prone to having um, bug problems, ants, things like that. So Growing them on a trellis is a really helpful thing to do. They will love you for it, and you will love them because you did it. But of course, I remember as a kid, it seemed like there were gourds everywhere. There was a gentleman, I can't remember where he lived. I'm sure he's passed away now because his gourds are gone, but he had gourd birdhouses. You remember that. People would hang them up and, and on poles that are as tall as a tree, way high in the air, and just a line of these gourd birdhouses. And gourds are very functional as a birdhouse. But uh, in some research doing gourds, our friend Liberty Hyde Bailey, who we talked about several weeks ago, he was an uh, agriculturalist, a horticulturalist, botanist. He was a lot of things. Uh, but of course, he said about gourds, he gave a definition. He said, a gourd is a hard-shelled, durable fruit grown for ornament, utensils, and general interest. I thought that was an interesting definition. What is the purpose of a gourd? <laughs> of course, they are very hard-shelled. You think about their cousins, the cucumbers and the squashes. Those are very thin-skinned. But you know if you've ever grown gourd or just seen gourds, how durable the outside covering is. It's nearly as strong as wood. And so with that in mind, they have been helpful. They've been used as pots and bowls or as uh, scoops, you know, some with long handles. You can cut open the belly of the gourd, and with a long-handled gourd, you can use it as a scoop. So there's a lot of functions for that. And like I said, I've, I was very interested by this question because we've never talked about gourds. But of course, now is not the time to grow gourds. Now would be the time to be harvesting gourds. They are a summer crop, so we'd start the seed in the spring and let them grow all summer. And then by the time we get to fall, that's when we're really harvesting them. Because in order to harvest them, 
Uh, one of the things that's critical is the gourd must reach its maturity on the vine. You don't want to pick your gourd prematurely. You know, the vine itself may wither away, uh, but the gourd is just getting stronger and harder. And so once the stem of your gourd turns brown, and once it's dry, it's safe to cut and remove those gourds. And you might find that you need to cut with something quite... Uh, quite powerful, maybe hand pruners, because it's essentially this very almost wood-like structure. But now in order to preserve them and um, handle them afterwards and and keep them for enduring because they will last for a long time, it's important, especially to preserve their color, to store them in a cool and a dry place. Now, in the research for gourds, I found that there is an American Gourd Society. That's right, American Gourd Society. There's American Rose Society, Daylily Societies. There's, there's societies for a lot of plants. But I never had imagined that there was a society for gourds. But uh, they do give us a bit of a recipe to preserve gourds. And I think this is what may be most helpful to us if you're trying to preserve your gourds. Uh, first of all, you want to start by mixing a cup of 20 Mule Team Borax one cup of borax to three cups of hot water. And you want to stir that until it's dissolved. And let that mixture cool off till it's just lukewarm. But along the same time, bring a pot of water to boil. And once that water is boiling, you can dip the gourd into the boiling water just briefly. You're not trying to boil it. You're just trying to, uh, what's that word we use? Well, anyhow, dip it in boiling water for just a bit. Then once you pull it out of the boiling water, uh, dip it into the borax solution and let it stay there for about 15 minutes. Let it soak up a bit. But you don't want to rinse that borax off. Then once the 15 minutes in the borax is up, You can hang the gourds in a cool, dry place for several days, making sure that all that extra moisture of drying in the of soaking up in the borax is gone. And after that, provide as good of an air circulation as possible. Make sure they're not in a pile or in a bucket drying. They want to be basically hanging or laying out on a table with space between each gourd. Then you can wax the gourds with a high-quality floor wax once they're dry. Now, who wants to grow gourds and preserve them? I kind of do. After doing the research into gourds uh, and harvesting them and, of course, preserving them, I thought maybe we need to do more of this. But they do make great little birdhouses. You can take a, um, a, a, a drill bit, maybe a, well, you have to look up the size drill bit you need based on the bird's requirements. Certain birds need a certain sized hole, but that's really all it takes to make a birdhouse out of a gourd. Maybe attach it uh, at the top with some string or wire so you can hang it. But otherwise, you're making one big hole in the belly of your gourd and allowing those birds to find a home in your uh, wonderfully preserved and beautiful gourd. <laughs> gourds. Uh, well, gourds are fun. Gourds are fun. I, I mean, actually, the whole group of cucurbits, cucumbers, the winter squashes, the summer squashes, these are a fun group. And you know, they do suffer from some issues that we've talked about from time to time. But otherwise, a 
kind of carefree plant that you can just train up a trellis. I mean, it will give you some height in the landscape too. And just like Liberty Hyde Bailey said, it's definitely a fruit of general interest. General interest. Just intriguing interest. This is a great thing. So there you go for curing, harvesting, curing, and storing your gourds. Now let's get into some more plants. How about evergreens for the landscape? This We're going into a time of year where I'm glad this question came across our mailbox because it's this time of year where we need to be thinking, we need to be thinking about what winter is going to look like in our landscape. Now, I love hydrangeas. I love roses. I mean, the deer love all of these, but I love all the plants that bloom so heavily in spring and summer. And yes, they drop their leaves. They drop their leaves. But what do we have of interest in the wintertime once these deciduous plants have dropped their leaves? And that's where evergreens come in. Now, evergreens come in a variety of things. When we say evergreens, a lot of people's mind, you know, talking with people in, at the nursery and at garden uh, conferences and garden clubs, uh, meetings, talking with people, I get this general feeling that when we say the word evergreen, uh, our minds tend to go to those conifers, right? Like pine trees and cypress trees uh, and arborvitaes, which are wonderful evergreen plants. But that's not the only evergreens, of course. You know, camellias, we'll talk about some of those. Uh, magnolias, we'll talk about that. But there are a number of things that maintain their leaves all winter, or at least most of their leaves. Uh, in, in, in the shrub world, we have the gardenias, the uh, evergreen azaleas, the hollies. Most of the hollies are going to be evergreen. So there's a number of things that we can incorporate in our landscape. And I would say if you took an inventory of all the plants you have in your landscape, in, in your garden, uh, that if you at least had 50% evergreen things and 50% deciduous plants, you would have a wonderful interest of uh, winter uh, with those evergreen plants. Now, there are some other things you can do for winter. We've talked about plants that have great exfoliating bark, or maybe their bark turns a vibrant color with the cool temperatures. Even though they don't have a leaf on them, they've got something going on in the landscape all winter. You can check out that episode online at NewSouthernGarden.com when you get a chance. But when it comes to evergreens, what can we do with them? Well, one of the first things we think of when we're talking about evergreens in the garden or in the landscape is screening and hedging. You know, making sure that we have some privacy with our neighbors. Our, uh, the lot size, the average lot size in America that our houses are built on is getting smaller and smaller, which means that we are getting closer and closer to our neighbors and their spaces. And so using evergreens as a screen or as a privacy hedge is going to be critical. And then, of course, uh, many of these evergreen plants, they make a great specimen tree. So you may have an island bed or something where you need some something big that's going to be green all year. And using an evergreen in that bed can add interest to that bed all year long. You know, the plants underneath them may come and go. Maybe you plant some annual plants, some perennial plants, some shrubs. You know, they may be deciduous. They may not. But at least in that island, 
you have something that's green all year long. So there's a number of reasons why we might use evergreens in the landscape. And thinking about them right now, knowing that we're going into the winter season where we might need something that's interesting, but also since we're getting into fall and getting into the cooler temperatures and the real, really the start of the best time to, to plant, now is a good time to think of some of these things. So I know we've talked about evergreens before, but it's, it's super timely. And I think that spending a few minutes to do that is going to be helpful. We're coming up on a break really soon, but I want to go ahead and introduce you to a great group of evergreens that make wonderful little Christmas trees. Uh, some of them are small and round, but that is the arborvitaes. The arborvitaes are... Um, well, some of them are native to America, but some are native to the uh, to parts of Asia. And so with that in mind, there's a number of uh, arborvitaes that are going to work. Probably the first one on people's radar is going to be the green giant arborvitae. The green giant arborvitae is just that. It's big. It's a giant. It has essentially replaced Leland cypress in the landscape. Leland cypress couldn't make it with certain disease issues, but this arborvitae green giant uh, has barreled right through and is a good contender for a large privacy uh, screen for you. When we get back from this break, we'll talk more about some of these evergreens you may want to introduce to your space. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we've been talking about evergreens. We just started talking about some wonderful evergreens that you can add to your landscape this season so that you have something attractive and of interest with leaves on it for many winters to come. And that first plant we talked about was the green giant arborvitae. It is one of the larger arborvitaes. Uh, it's going to make a great privacy screen between you and neighbors, but you at least need 15 feet of width because they are quite large and um, they grow fast. They grow three to four feet a year. They're a dark green, which is appropriately named green giant. They're big and they're green. But within the group of arborvitaes, it's not a one size fit all because of course this arborvitae may be too big for you. But arborvitaes have a very broad group of plants, very great different genetics. Some of them are dark green, some of them are lighter green, some of them are yellow. So you can find different colors and you'll have that yellow or, or limey green throughout winter. And then sizes, there's like the, um, the narrow skinny ones like emerald green and degroot spire arborvitae. 
Both of those are arborvitaes, but they have a different shape. They're nearly like a pencil, uh, narrow in width, uh, but height can be quite tall. And so you can use those as a screen in tight places, or you can use them as an accent plant on the corner of buildings because they're so narrow. Then, of course, there's little round shrubs. <laughs> there's one that I just love. It's called Golden Globe Arborvitae, and it is a beautiful plant. It is bright yellow on the tips, and the inside of the plant is more of a uh, limey green to dark green. So you get this two-tone effect, if you will. But with that being said, it's only about three to four feet tall and wide. It's super small. It can really be one of your evergreen shrubs if you need it to be right there. So be on the lookout for different types of arborvitaes. I think you'll find that they're quite useful and very attractive. But then again, there is another group of plants called the cryptomerias. Cryptomerias, they are a strange group of plants. They're from Japan. Cryptomeria japonica. Japonica just means originating from Japan. And generally, cryptomeria is a large plant. They could be 60 to 100 feet tall and maybe 30 feet wide. There's one called Yoshino, which is very large, and it could be a good screen between you and your neighbor uh, or to hide some important area in your landscape if you have the width, if you have the room. But there are smaller versions of this plant. There's the Radicans cryptomeria, which is maybe 15 feet tall, not nearly as big. And then there's the really small, cute ones like the um, um, Globosa nana, Globosa nana cryptomeria, which literally translates to small globe. They keep a nice round shape. We like to use these in the shrub borders and maybe in the front of your house because they're evergreen. They've got great texture foliage. They're a light green too. They're not super dark so it contrasts well with some of the other dark evergreens like gardenias or camellias. Uh, and then there's the artistic cryptomerias. There's one called Black Dragon, which has this very abstract form. It's maybe only three feet wide or so, but they can be at least eight foot tall, if not taller. And they have these random branches. They actually drop some of their branches off randomly, and they leave you with this very open, wiry, very artistic. So that could be a centerpiece of a bed, and it would look green. It would have leaves on it all year long. So be on the lookout for cryptomeria as well. Now, how about some evergreens that aren't really green, but they're bluish or gray? And that would fall into, say, the Deodar Cedars. Now, Deodar Cedar is a big girl, too. She can be 60 foot tall in her lifetime. Uh, but there are some varieties of uh, Deodar that stay much smaller. And her needles, she is a conifer, so she has those very small textured leaves. Uh, her needles are more of a blue-green maybe gray even. And that can be very attractive when you contrast it with uh, the dark green from, say, the, the green giant. Use a number of evergreens that are, are different colors, a number of evergreens, maybe different sizes, and you can really get a nice look in your landscape. Uh, also in the blues, of course, is the Arizona cypress. There are a number of Arizona cypress that are available. One of the most common is called Carolina sapphire, at least in our area, and they are large too. They're probably 40 feet tall at least. But then there's the blue ice Arizona cypress, and it has that nice ashy blue-gray color uh, on its foliage, but 
it's not nearly as tall, maybe 20-something feet. So that would be great for a small landscape. And don't forget about one of our favorite native evergreens. You know, in the south, we have a lot of oaks and maples uh, that grow wild. Uh, Poplar trees, they all lose their leaves in the winter. But there is, of course, the pine trees. Uh, I don't talk too much about those. But the one I'm referring to Uh, Our native evergreen is the southern magnolia, and southern magnolia is a wonderful plant. You know it. You probably, well, you probably either love it or hate it. (laughs) They get a a reputation for being messy because the leaves that they do drop are very big and leather-like, and of course, uh, anybody who's trying to mow underneath a southern magnolia will come across some problems because they will chew up the blade of your lawn mower. So let your magnolias grow to the ground. That's how they want to be. Don't limb them up like a normal tree. Don't try to have a a, a lollipop uh, effect where you have a stick and the foliage at the top. Let your magnolias grow like they want to, which is all the way to ground level. They'll make a large pyramid in your landscape or a small pyramid if you go for some of the newer varieties like Little Jim or Teddy Bear. Those girls, they're small. They're 20 foot tall rather than 60 to 100 feet and maybe only 20 feet wide or less. Some of them are quite narrow. So be on the lookout for Southern Magnolias because they provide a beautiful color all winter, but of course they give you those sweet smelling summer time blossoms. Huge white flowers. Everybody needs a southern magnolia if you're gardening in the south. Uh, But uh, false cypress is another group of plants. Now the false cypress looks like cypress, but it's not really cypress. And we have found uh, that false cypress grows very well in our area. A lot of cypress, a lot of cedars, they cannot handle our summers. It just gets too hot, maybe even too humid. Uh, But the false cypress barrels right through the summer. I planted a uh, false cypress called Southern Lace. Uh, maybe over a year ago now, I haven't watered it. I, I planted it in the fall or winter, probably dead of winter. I might have watered it then just to get the soil to settle, but I didn't water it all winter and haven't watered it since, and it has not needed it. It has plowed right through the summer with no problems. Now, another native evergreen you may not think about, but it is a good plant, is the eastern red cedar. The eastern red cedar is actually a juniper. Uh, it's in the juniper family, but there's one called Brody that is very small, very uniform, upright, and just has a beautiful color and texture all winter long. And don't forget about the blooming evergreens like camellia. Now that's not really a tree, but some camellias can get 12, 15 feet tall. And so they can be tree-like. They tend to have an oval shape uh, when they're fully mature, so you can plant things around it and underneath it. Some camellias do, well, all camellias do great in the shade, so that's a plus, but then certain camellias, like the Sasanqua camellias, they do wonderfully in the sun. It's really not a problem for them. So no matter what kind of evergreen you need, I'm sure there is one for you. Well, thanks for joining me on today's program here on New Southern Garden. We've talked about peonies and staking trees and curing gourds of all things and of course evergreens if you missed out on any of this program check us out online newsoutherngarden.com for wrwh 93.9 fm my name's nathan wilson hope you stay well and grow well this weekend we'll see you next time
Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.